right, good morning, good morning. Welcome to New Life Church. It's your very first Sunday, welcome. All of you watching online, we're grateful uh, that you have joined us online. If you're watching on KRDO, if you're listening on any of the platforms, we're grateful. We see you, we, we acknowledge you. We know there, uh, just this week, I heard from some people that say, I'm watching you, I'm in the hospital, recovering from COVID, and I just, I, I, you were a lifeline, so I just wanna tell you, we're thinking about you as you're watching online. We are, can't wait for you to join us, but we also know that uh, the church is here praying for you. So, amen. Can we welcome everybody that's watching online this morning? Can you hear, let them hear your, your voice this morning? Uh, I want to remind you this Wednesday night, my favorite Wednesday night of any month is first Wednesday at 630. We're going to gather right back in this room. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to hear God. We worship together. It's about an hour long. Bring your kids. It is a fun, powerful night. We do this once a month. And if you've not been to one, I want you to clear your schedule. Start making first Wednesday an important part of your family schedule. I promise you, your family and you will benefit from being here on Wednesday night. It's not often that we have guest speakers. We have such a great team of preachers here at the church, but from time to time, I believe it's, it's, uh, the Lord has called us to hear from some outside voices. And so from time to time, I'll ask some of my trusted pastor friends to come in and to speak to us and give us a word. And this morning, we get the privilege of having Pastor Preston Morrison. He's from Gateway Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. I've known Pastor Preston and his wife, Holly, for 20 years. I have just so admired him. He's a dear, dear friend. And so I want you to lean in. I've already heard this message one time. It is a, it, let me just give you a heads up. It is convicting and encouraging and we need to hear this word. So will you lean in this morning? And would you give a huge welcome to my friend, Pastor Preston Morris and welcome him this morning. How y'all doing this morning? You doing all right? Let me just say, before I, I say anything spiritual, let me say something really spiritual. These people over in the Cowboys jerseys over here, you guys are awesome. I, I just, I know the rest of you feel like there's a Judas among you, but I feel like there's a John here with us, the, you beloved, these incredible people. And, and for you, sir, there'll be altar ministry. I, no, I'm just kidding. This is a lot of, a lot of Broncos fans. Uh, I do want to say, Holly and I, my wife, we love pastors Brady and Pam and and uh, one of the reasons I love Brady so much is 20 years ago he could have fired me many many times and so I have a very special relationship he's like a big brother but I'm just grateful he didn't fire that 21 year old kid because I gave him a reason about every week to let me go from ministering in the house of the Lord and I have a ton of respect for them and your team uh, and, and I echo what Pastor Brady said, the team here, I know you know this, uh, and this is not hype or hyperbole. It's a very special thing God is doing here. And I, I know you don't take it for granted, but it's not happening everywhere. And it's certainly not happening everywhere after COVID. And I, I just, I'm so grateful to the Lord for what he's doing among you, in you and through you, because this is really, really special. And it's just a special treat to get to be here. If you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to a couple of places if you would. Leviticus chapter 8. You know it's about to go down like Charlie Brown if we're going to Leviticus. And you can put a marker in Revelation chapter 1. How about that for bookends? <laughs> Leviticus and Revelation. I'll give you the title of this message at the onset so that you have a little bit of context to where we're going. The title of this message is Consecration Comes First. 
Consecration comes first. Now, some of you might spend a decent amount of time during this message wondering, why is this the message he's preaching? What does this have to do with me? The last verse we're going to read together, and then I want to share something with you that I just sense the Lord kind of saying for, for this body, this incredible body of believers. But we're going to talk about consecration. And I know it's a word we don't use a lot in church, but I think it's a word we should use a lot more. And I'm going to use another word a decent amount in this message. It's the word romantic. And I know we don't often use that word in church as it relates to our relationship with God. You might use the word intimate. And they're both great words. Think about this. Out of all the things King David could have said to his son Solomon, imparting wisdom at the end of his life, why do you think the one thing he said was, son, get to know the God of your ancestors intimately. I'm going to use the word romantic a little bit in this message. And then I'm going to use a third word that we may not use a lot and we probably don't use it very often to describe ourselves. It's the word priest. Okay, so just because we're talking about consecration and priesthood, please don't check out because we're actually talking about you. All right? Leviticus chapter 8 is a beautiful picture that involves this word consecration multiple times. My wife and I have been doing this study on the book of Leviticus in our time together in the mornings. And when I read this passage, it just hit me in some kind of way. And I want to read it to you. Leviticus chapter 8, starting in verse 10. Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times anointed the altar and all of its utensils and the laver and its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. I believe this is a very special word to God and it's a very important word for us. So I'm gonna give you a couple of things as it relates to this consecrated life that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to live. Here's the first point, point number one. Consecration is romantic, not religious. If you're taking notes, I'll give you a definition of consecration so that we can all kind of be on the same page together. Consecration means the dedication of something or someone to the service and worship of God for God. Let me read that one more time. Consecration is the dedication of something or someone to the service and worship of God for God. How many of us would say, I want my life to be described by that right there? That's what I want right there. I want to be dedicated to God in service to him, worship of him, for him. Now, in this message, I'm going to kind of interchangeably use the phrase set apart and consecrated because the consecrated life is the set apart life. And when I, I say that consecration is not just some religious thing, because I think for some of us, we think of that as a very religious term. Let me say this so that we don't go down a legalistic path. We do not set ourselves apart or consecrate ourselves to earn God's affection. We consecrate ourselves in response to God's affection. 
What does one do in response to the God of the universe looking in your direction saying, I adore you, come away with me? How do we not look at him and say, my heart has heard you say, come away. Lord, I am coming. I'm gonna set myself apart from the things that distract me, from the things that that I get stuck in, I'm gonna set myself apart, separate myself in worship of you for you. Now, I'm gonna show you a little bit of the romantic side of consecration from God's perspective. Exodus chapter 30, verse 30 says, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. God doesn't just say, anoint them and consecrate them to be priests. He says, anoint them and consecrate them to minister to me. I think part of what God's saying here is one of my favorite things to see is someone set apart to minister to me. Not just worship, but minister to me as an act of worship. Psalm four verse three shows God's heart for the set apart. You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. Here's kind of the way I see what God's saying with several of these scriptures. Preston, I'll personalize it. I set you apart for myself. Now I want you to set yourself apart for me. Consecrate yourself. Here's the second thing, and some of us aren't gonna like this. Consecration demands boundaries. Consecration demands boundaries. Anybody besides me feel like when you look around the earth right now, there seems to be an utter lack of boundaries? Anybody? Isn't it kind of interesting that in this COVID thing, it was almost like there was a move to reestablish boundaries six feet at a time. It immediately, you know that person in your family or when you come to church that always gets up in your personal space? COVID established a boundary. Boundaries are a good thing from time to time. But here's what, this is really bad, a boundaryless life. And when we look at the church right now, let's just go to church social media accounts. And I'm talking about the people in the church. Where are the boundaries? Who's setting the rules? Now I'm not saying it's a problem here. I'm just saying, have have you read any of what's going on out there? What's being said out there? Who who set these rules that it's okay to attack members of the family of God in broad daylight and then say, come on, come all, be a part of our family. Where are the boundaries? See, I think part of the problem is we think as adults that part of the responsibility of an adult is to set boundaries. And what I wanna show you in scripture in Exodus chapter 19, which I believe to be one of the best passages in scripture on setting boundaries. I wanna show you a couple of truths about setting godly boundaries. Exodus 19 verse 10, then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and let them be ready for the third day. Aren't you grateful we are a people of the third day? I am grateful, let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all of the people. And you shall set bounds for the people all around. And the implication there is the base of the mountain. Saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. 
Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he surely shall be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast, he shall not live. The consecrated life is a life filled with godly boundaries. And here's the thing about godly boundaries. We don't set them, he does. This is what Exodus 19 shows us, that God sets the boundaries. We're called to establish them. And then we both enforce them. Incidentally, this was the passage of scripture I used to teach my daughter what to do if anyone ever crossed her boundaries on the dating scene. If they cross the line, sweetheart, get your bow out and shoot them in the back. We are from Texas. Fling that arrow and let them know, sweetheart, that I am watching. I own a bow just to enforce Exodus 19 in your life. Can I get an amen from the daddies of the little girls? But isn't it interesting? We have this thing in our day called the gray area. You know what the gray area is? The gray area is that part of space that exists around boundaries I set. Here's what happens when I set a boundary. It's easy for me to move. And I don't know about you, I'm sure in in a group this size, we have a few people who, when their parents told them when they were younger, do not touch the ornaments on the Christmas tree. They They were your great grandmothers. They are very special, do not touch the ornaments. And I'm sure we have a couple of people among us who kind of did this anytime mom or dad set a boundary. And just see what happened, right? That was not me. That was my middle brother. I never did that. I was, I was a good boy. Boundaries. Who sets the boundaries in your life? Do you? Do you set the boundaries? Let me talk to the young people who are dating. Do you set the boundaries about whether or not to go into her apartment after a very romantic date where a little temptation is being sensed? Do you set the boundary whether or not to go in? Or does the creator of all things say, Bressa, not, not good tonight. Go on home. I know you. I made you. Go on home. As it relates to your body, who sets the boundaries? Do you decide? And I don't want to get legalistic here, but do you decide how much bluebell ice cream you consume on a daily basis? Because that's the nectar of heaven, by the way. (laughs) This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit get to say? Here's another way to say it. How can I make the case that Jesus is Lord of my life if he is not involved in any way in establishing the boundaries of my life? I sleep better because of his boundaries. Here's another way to say it. When is it ever a good thing to give yourself whatever you want whenever you want it? You ever tried that before? I I tried that for about a year or two when Brady was in my life. It's one of the reasons I should have been fired so many times. Because if I wanted to do it, I did it. If I wanted to say it, I said it. Know what I learned? It's a miserable existence to do whatever you want whenever you want. It's a gift from God that he says, Preston, let me establish some boundaries. Let me set them. You establish them. And then I want you to enforce them. Don't cross these boundaries. Consecration involves godly boundaries. 
Here's the third thing. Consecration is a priestly mandate. Consecration is a priestly mandate. A priest had to be consecrated, otherwise they couldn't be a priest. Now I know some of you are maybe thinking, oh, okay, Preston, I'm not gonna lie, I started to feel a little bit of conviction during that second point, because I've pretty much set the boundaries in my life, and now you're telling me God's supposed to set the boundaries, feeling a little conviction, but now I feel better, because here's what I just learned with point number three, that this message isn't for people like me, it's for priests, pastors like you. So I'm out. Not so fast. I'm gonna show you some scriptures that hopefully will help you see things a little bit differently. Consecration was a must for the priests. And I'm gonna show you why you should wake up every morning seeing yourself as a priest, a minister of God. Revelation chapter one, verse five, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests. Our king rules over a kingdom of priests. Now, that phrase alone brings up some questions. Hebrews chapter four says that Jesus is our high priest, does it not? Okay, and here's the thing. The king was over the people. The high priest was only over the priests. So how can Jesus be the king over the people and simultaneously be the high priest over no one but the priests? Furthermore, there are some other questions that come into play. How can Jesus be a high priest when the priests came from which line? The line of Aaron, the tribe, uh, the, the kings came from Judah, right? The priest came from the line of Aaron, Levi, right? So how can Jesus be both king and high priest? Well, if you go back to the very first time the word priest is mentioned in the Bible, it's not in Leviticus, it's not in Exodus. It's all the way back in Genesis, and I wanna read it to you. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. And Abram returned from his victory over Kedorla Omer. If you like unique names, I just gave you one right there, Kedorla Omer, we'll call him Kedo. And all his allies, the king of Sodom, Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God most high brought Abram some bread and wine. It's one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament because this is a, a, a rolling out of the single most extravagant meal in all of human history. And we're about to experience it together in just a moment. Can I remind you, this meal in which we're going to partake of cost Jesus his life and Melchizedek comes to Abram with the bread and the wine as both king of Salem and priests of God most high. Watch why this is important. Hebrews chapter five, verse eight. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. 
and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him, Jesus, to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Here's why this is so important for you and for me. Because if our king is also high priest from the line of Melchizedek, then that therefore means that this king rules over nothing but priests. This is a kingdom of priests. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what that makes you? A priest. Let me give you a definition of a priest before you start getting wonky on me. A really simple definition of priest is one set apart to minister to God and represent God to the people. This is what we do. It's not just what I do because I have the title of pastor. I'm a priest because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and he rules over a kingdom of priests. Now let's think about this for a moment because I don't think many believers see themselves as priests in a kingdom of priests. And I can prove it to you, but I wanna be really sensitive about it. Okay, please don't feel like I'm stepping on your toes, all right? But I want you to think about something. Pastor Brady has uh, the title of pastor and one of his main responsibilities is feeding the sheep. And so many weekends, he gets up in this pulpit and preaches the word of God. He rightly divides the word of God. I wanna ask you a question. How would the service go if as a priest, he stepped up to minister, but he showed up 15 minutes late to do it? Can you imagine whoever was doing oversight and, and, and whatever needed to happen before the sermon started and Brady just sat in the front row for 15 minutes and then finally got up? What would you be thinking? How long would it take before you would pull out your phone and start playing video games or something? Or run up to him and say, don't you know? You're supposed to take your place. Okay, here's why I believe it's really easy to see that much of the church today does not see themselves as priests. Because a very high percentage of believers show up 15 minutes late to the service. Please hear me, if that's you, I know you have young kids, I know you got stuff. And also let me say, just because somebody comes in late, don't judge them. They may be out in the, in the lobby serving. But let me just speak to this. I don't think people who show up 15 minutes late are inherently bad. Here's what I think the issue is. They just don't understand their priests. They don't understand how important of a role they play in this kingdom of priests really is. And I wonder if the God of the universe isn't here waiting for all of you to take your place in the house of the Lord the same way you're waiting for Brady to take his place in the pulpit. I wonder if before you get here, the God of the universe isn't looking, this is your entry. And he's going, she's coming in. This is, it's going down today. She's gonna take her place and I'm gonna do something miraculous in her and through her in my house because she set herself apart to minister to me. Okay, if we actually believe that, I think we'd be 15 minutes early. Let me go a little bit further. Can you even imagine what the bride of Christ would look like in the day in which we live if 
of followers of Jesus Christ served in the house of the Lord on a monthly basis. We could take over the world. Well, Preston, I don't have bandwidth. I don't know if you've been watching. We've been COVID, man. I don't have bandwidth for that. I'm not speaking to what you're capable of doing. I'm speaking to what you're called to do. Better is one day in his courts. Better to be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than spend any amount of time anywhere else. And I'm not coming at you, I promise. I told Brady in between services, this is one of these special places in our country. And, and I know you're on the radar, but I just don't think it's anywhere near what's about to happen. And we're gonna talk about that at the end. So what must we do? If God is moving among, among us in this place, what must we do? Here's the answer, take our place. Set ourselves apart as ministers to the God of the universe, in his house and outside of his house. Here's the fourth thing. Consecrated priests make extravagant sacrifices. Consecrated priests make extravagant sacrifices. The work of a priest is to offer offerings, to make sacrifices. But I, I wanna kinda just give you a little more romantic perspective of a sacrifice. Here's what I look like. You probably don't look like this when you bring a sacrifice to the Lord, but here's what I look like sometimes, especially when he asks for an extravagant sacrifice. I kinda look like a brat every once in a while. <sighs> I, I kinda, you know, like the first time when my wife and I got married and she asked me to do the dishes and I thought, my mom always did the dishes in our house. What are you asking me to do? I was an idiot, trust me. So when she asked me to do the dishes, I went and just started slamming dishes so she knew I was at work. A complete moron. Sometimes when God asks me to make a sacrifice, if I'm not careful, I'll act like that entitled little boy. You know what the difference between a sacrifice and an offering is? Sacrifices are wonderful. But you know what's better than a sacrifice? Is a willing offering when I am excited to make the sacrifice. It's like giving a gift to someone you love. I get more excited watching someone I love open a gift I've given them than I will ever get opening a gift they give me. Priests offer offerings. Instead of seeing your morning time with the Lord like a sacrifice, see it as an offering of praise. Lord, I'm gonna start my day focused on you. Your pastor was the one who taught me years ago. First words out of his mouth when he rolls out of bed, Holy Spirit, come. I'm offering my day to you. I'm not just trying to survive my day. I'm gonna sacrifice all day because that's what priests do. Love runs on sacrifice. And priests offer up Offerings. Now, the big question is, what kind of sacrifice does he like to receive? I'll show you two passages. One, you're amazing at, and I know it, Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. 
And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Mary's house. I remember when Pastor Brady took me the first time. I got teary. My wife and I have a heart. We, we have a dream to do something like that one day. And then the clinic, now you're just showing off. Like I thought you were awesome with Mary's house, but then you build Mary's doctor's office? What in the world is wrong with you people? You actually believe that book, don't you? And everybody in this area knows it. You're known for being sacrificially generous. So I've, I, I'm not correcting anything. You're amazing. I have so many things to learn from you. But I believe there's a sacrifice better than any other sacrifice you or I could make. And Romans chapter 12 verse 1 shows us what it is. Paul says, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, pressed in your whole life as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. God sits on the throne, but I'm called, you're called as a follower of Jesus Christ to live on the altar, a continual sacrifice of praise. But you know what his favorite offering to receive from you is? You. All of you. When my wife and I got married, we had a lot of debt, a lot of school debt. And then, you know, I was, I was 23 when we got married. Nobody had really ever taught me about credit cards. And so uh, I took out a couple of credit cards and thought, ooh, free money, look at this. Didn't understand 23% a year could kill a person. And so we had some consumer debt as well. And I remember when we got out of debt, we both wanted to celebrate a little bit and we did something special for one another. And what my wife did for me, is she bought me my favorite shotgun. Any hunters in the room? We got any hunters? Okay, you're the godly among us. <laughs> she bought me my favorite shotgun. And then a couple years later, she bought me my favorite hunting bow. But if you ask my wife after 20 years of marriage, You've given Preston a lot of gifts over the years. What, what have been his, his favorite gifts? What's his favorite thing to receive? She'd probably tell you. He loves all that stuff. But his favorite gift is when I give him more of myself. When I take him into the secret place of my heart and I tell him something I've never told anyone in the face of the earth before, he loves it when I do that because he just wants me. Okay. Do you think God is any different? He is obsessed with you. He adores you. He paid the highest price for you. Love runs on sacrifice. And what God loves to receive from you is you. It's you. One more verse to wrap up our time together and hopefully it will help give you a little context into why I shared this message in this season of time with you. In Joshua, uh, we know the transition into Joshua's leadership and 
the night before Joshua is leading the people across the Jordan to miraculously begin taking the land of the promise. Joshua says something. And I think it's prophetically important for this church today. Let me read it to you and we'll be done. Joshua chapter three, verse five. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Please hear my heart with what I'm about to say. I love your pastor, he's one of my great friends, he's like a big brother, but nothing I'm saying has anything to do with our relationship and everything to do with what I just sensed the Lord saying about you in this family, in this place, in this season. The last 15 years in this church, I believe, have been preparation for the next five. Some amazing things have happened over the last 15 years, and I know I don't even know 99% of them, but you just look in this church's direction and you can see God has been on the move for the last decade and a half. But I sense what the Lord's saying right now. It's the last 15 were to prepare you for the next five. It's about to go down like Charlie Brown. And when everyone else is talking about go, it going down, it's like they go negative really fast. Have you noticed that? When I read the end of that book, I don't see the bad news. Yeah, it might get harder and it's gonna. But when you study church history, you see the harder it gets, the better the church is. It's about to go down in Colorado Springs. I know it has been, but what if God wanted to bring you, your family in this church into a season of multiplication, not just addition? What if the last 15 years were preparation for the next five? And what if the line in the sand that New Life Church draws, that you, sir, you, ma'am, that your family draws, what if the line in the sand between those 15 and the next five was what Joshua told the people to do before they crossed over? Consecrate yourself. Set yourselves apart. Don't get caught up in the distractions, the difficulties. I know it's hard. But this is our moment. The testimony of God's faithfulness in this church is all over every street in this city. But what if God is about to do something new that's taken 15 years to prepare for? So that the next five, and I'm not saying incredible things will happen after those five. I'm just saying, I think this next five year run we're going to see more miracles. We're going to see more marriages saved. We're going to see more teenagers go all in for Jesus. I believe we're going to see a move of God. But will the bride be ready? And I believe the answer to that question is yes, if she's a consecrated bride. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. God, you're the ultimate chess player. There's so many people and families here that you brought here. 
isn't just an amazing staff and leadership. This is an amazing family. God, you've done so many amazing things all these years. Lord, you've been preparing them. You've been preparing them for this. Spirit of the living God. Would you fall on this place like never before? Would you sweep through this city like never before? Would your voice be heard like never before? Would your face be seen? Would your love be felt like never before? God, would you take this amazing family which you've been preparing for this day and today, God, I just ask, their hearts would hear you saying, will you set yourself apart for me? This is it. I wanna partner with you to do things no one's ever seen in this town. May the bride fall in love all over again. And may we pull back from the gray areas, the distractions, the disappointments. May we set ourselves apart as ministers to God, for God. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Let's stand together this morning as we come to the table of the Lord. I love how Pastor Preston said that communion is the most extravagant and expensive gift that we will ever be served. It's not a religious ritual, but an intimate exchange between the heavenly father and his church, his sons and his daughters whom he loves so much. And so, This morning, can we just take our place at the seat at the table and minister to the Holy Spirit right where you are as you're preparing. Just tell him how much you love him. Tell him how good he is. Tell him that you're thankful for his goodness and his kindness and his mercy that follows you every day of your life. You're good, Father. It was on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffer and die, that he took the bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take, eat and do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the wine and after he blessed it, he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you. Take, drink and do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the body and the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's begin to lift our hallelujah up to the one who is and is to come. He's worthy. Thank you, Jesus.
to be in the house of the Lord each and every weekend. Come on, can we just give him praise one more time? He's good. <laughs> yes. He's good. Well, we get to do this again this coming Wednesday night at First Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. right here in the Worship Center. Bring a friend and let's come and worship as the family of God. And speaking of family, we have food this morning. We have section community parties for a few of our sections this morning. So check and see if that's you. There they are in section one and two, right through the family ministry hallway. We'd like to invite our prayer team down at this time. You have no idea how much we love praying with you. We wanna hear what's going on. We wanna know what's happening in your life. So please come down. These altars are open for you. Can you just open your hands now for a blessing this morning? May you know that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. And that God has a call on your life that no man, no scheme of hell can take. Let us go out today and throughout the week and be that light that this world is so desperate to know. Go and be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love you all, New Life Church, and we will see you next week, same time and same place.